Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 106. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah. Uh, this week, since there's nothing really good in theaters, we'll be going over some news before taking a look at a film that played the festival circuit last year that we never really talked about, but it's certainly worthy of discussion, and that's Borgman. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, as always, let's talk about some of what we've been watching. I think... I think it's you. I think it is me. Uh, So I started the week off with an ESPN 30 for 30 film called The Price of Gold. This uh, this one just came out on Netflix, and it's about the uh, Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding scandal. Mm. And it kind of looks at the whole thing from the perspective of Tanya Harding. So it really goes in depth on her side of the story and kind of what she was going through. And I didn't think that it would that it would happen, but I actually felt really bad for Tanya Harding in this situation. Hmm. Like I just I just felt really bad for, especially because we still don't know if she had any kind of involvement in it. So if if she really didn't have anything to do with it, then I feel really bad for her. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty typical of the Thirty for Thirty series. It's really well made. Uh, the the information within this movie is nothing that was really that new to me because for some reason I remember like being glued to the television during this scandal when I was younger. Like I watched everything. <laughs> like I I remember watching the the Olympics performance and when she fell immediately when Tanya Harding fell immediately and then tried to claim that her her lace broke and. They let her do a redo for some reason, and and then she didn't even she got like tenth or something. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, but I also found out so Nancy Kerrigan wasn't interviewed in this documentary, oh. and I found out just last night while I was watching the Olympics that they're doing a another sort of documentary tonight. This is being recorded on Sunday on NBC about. Tanya and Nancy, and they were able to interview Nancy <laughs> Kerrigan. Oh, God. But it's so weird because they showed like a little snippet, you know, like a little preview of what the documentary is going to be. Mm-hmm. And they must have, it's either the same, it's either the same, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the same director. So mm. I don't really understand because the uh, the interviews are in the same locations with the same people. And like Tanya Harding's even wearing the same outfit. As in this documentary. So they're just, they're milking it. Yeah. So they're like, I think maybe what happened was, so they did this, they came out with this documentary and then maybe, uh, they, maybe the director struck a deal with NBC and then that maybe they were able to get the Nancy Kerrigan interview and add it in to the documentary. I don't know. But I also know that. I don't think that the NBC one tonight is going to be like a feature length documentary. I really doubt that they'll take that much time away from showing oh. Olympics coverage. What they, the best part is they don't even show Olympic coverage. It's seriously like they'll show two people compete in an event and then it's commercials <laughs> and then an inspirational story and yeah. then commercials again and then one person competing and then commercials, inspirational story inspirational story inside of a commercial i think that part of it is is due to the time difference it's so terrible it i it's pissing me off so much i'm not even watching it anymore i've been trying to i've been trying to keep up with it i did watch the bobsledding last night where canada wiped out like big time did you see that no i did not see that it was crazy like they just they rolled their bobsled it looked horrific they were okay though they were, they're all right. Um, either way, Price of Gold is available on Netflix. If um, if you're a fan of the 30 for 30 series and you are interested to learn a little bit more about this whole the whole scandal and how it just kind of swept the nation, 
I, I'd recommend checking it out. It's pretty entertaining. I watched a movie from uh, 2003 called Swimming Pool. This is uh, another film by Francois Ozon, who we talked about a while back. His latest movie was In the House, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So I decided to check out another one of his films since I liked In the House so much. I thought, oh, I discovered a director. Here we go. Let's do some back cataloging. And this film was atrocious. It's one of those erotic thriller type deals, which I'm, I'm always finding that all of these erotic thrillers are neither erotic or thrilling ever. <laughs> <laughs> there never are. I, I can't think of one that I ever thought was either erotic or thrilling at all. And this one is definitely not an exception. I mean, the main character is Charlotte Rampler. So you have that going on. Mm-hmm. She plays uh, an old British like mystery writer. And she vacations in France to sort of get away, recharge her batteries, maybe work on a new novel. And she's staying at her publisher's house. And then all of a sudden, publisher's daughter shows up. And it's fucking odd couple. It goes into odd couple territory where you have the, the older British woman really stuffy and uptight trying to write her novel. And the young uh, <clears throat> publisher's daughter who's there, who just, wild child, just bringing a different guy home every night, partying, drinking, listening to loud music, rambling, can't get any of her writing done. Oh, shit. It's so boring. And then the worst part is, like, nothing happens for the entire film, except for the very end, like the last 20 minutes or so. <clears throat> and then at that point, it's just plot twist after plot twist. I mean, ridiculously so, like rapid fire to the point where you just don't care anymore because the before the 70 minutes before that you just watched was so unbelievably boring that you were like, I just, I don't care. Hmm. And I cannot recommend this movie at all. You see Charlotte Ramplin eat a shit ton of yogurt. <laughs> I mean, copious she, amounts of yogurt. Does like, she, she get naked? Does she get she naked? She does. She does get naked in of it. Of course. So she's naked in it. Uh... The publisher's daughter, which is Ludovine Sagnier, she's naked like almost the entire time. Like the beginning of the film is just her topless. Like, and it seems like that's really the only point of the film. Like the first 70 minutes, it's just her being topless. Hmm. It's just like she'll be writing in her diary, but she'll do it without a shirt on. Or she'll be talking to Rampling without a shirt on. And it just, it's it's so unbelievably boring. And then the ending sequence is this like Rampling up on the terrace waving to senior at the by the pool and it's done in like slow motion Mm. and it looks like a lifetime movie and it's just it's so laughable everything is just terrible and i mean you can analyze it and i did for a little bit and then i realized that i just don't care because it was it was just awful Mm. there's something there there's definitely something there but when you're watching it it's it's not interesting it's not thrilling it's not captivating it's nothing I saw one that is kind of an erotic thriller in a in its own way. It's called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. It's from 1970, directed by Russ Meyer, who did oh, like yeah. he did Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, kind of a, a skin flick guy, and it's written by Roger Ebert. Yeah, that's right. So rated X. So there there's a lot of uh, salacious material going on in this movie i don't think it'd be rated x nowadays it's not that bad yeah right i think the big thing back then is that there there are some like uh female on female and male on male love scenes oh, can't have that going and i think that back then that was just too much and too much can't handle that this is a movie i would love you to see this movie it is so weird the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just like, what is this? What am I watching? It None of it makes any sense. It's so shoddily thrown together. Like, the editing is so weird because it's like this, like, super fast cuts, like, throughout the whole movie. And you're just like, what is going on? Like, I can't differentiate between any of the characters. I don't know who's sleeping with who and who's who's friends and who has a relationship and who's our enemies with each other and it's just it's supposed to be a statement about kind of the 
the dangers of Hollywood. And it's about like these three girls that are in a band and they they graduate high school and immediately go out to L.A. to make it big. And they do make it big. But along with that fame and fortune comes drugs and sex and uh, basically, the movie's just party after party after party, and there's like these extended music music numbers that they do in it, which are ridiculous. At first, it seems kind of campy and fun, but it wears out its welcome pretty mm-hmm. pretty early on. But then the end of the film turns into this bizarre, uh, like horror film almost, where one of the main characters who has all the parties, his name's Z-Man in the movie. He, uh, he just loses his mind, and he makes... He has this, like, party where he only invites three people over. He dresses them up like superheroes. He makes them take peyote. They all make out with each other. Then he loses his mind and starts killing all of them. And it's, like, it turns into this kind of ultra-violent slasher film. Okay. And the whole time I'm just like, what the fuck? And he, oh, and he makes his butler dress up like a Nazi. I'm sold. This sounds. <laughs> I gotta say, this sounds. I've always been intrigued by this film, mainly because it was written by Ebert. But number two is I've never been able to figure out. Does this have anything to do with the book Valley of the Dolls? No, it doesn't. So, so okay. basically, the. The book was written. They made a movie about the original. the The original novel was adapted into a film in like '67, I think. And then they were gonna be doing a sequel. I can't remember which studio owned it. If it was Warner Brothers or 20th Century Fox, but they were gonna do a sequel to it. And I guess in the end, they decided to, when they were working with Ebert and Russ Meyer, they decided to just keep some of the same themes as the book and the original film, but the cast is different and everything about it is different (laughs) other than the name. And it's funny because when you first start watching the movie, there's a disclaimer that comes up at the beginning that says (laughs) that this is, that this is its own film and it's not a sequel. Oh man. Which I knew. Yeah. I knew I was in, in for something when that disclaimer came up, it is ridiculous. Like you just, I don't even understand. And then, like, the one guy that they're friends with tries to kill himself by jumping. He's, like, up on a scaffolding above a stage, and he, like, jumps off and lands on the stage while they're performing, and then he becomes a paraplegic. (laughs) But then at the end, like, all of a sudden he can feel his legs and walk normal. (laughs) It's so weird, man. It It is a bizarre, completely incomprehensible film. It's I, not good. It's not good, but I do recommend it because it's hilarious. Is is it? It's one of those. It's so bad. It's good type deals. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I thoroughly enjoy those types of movies. Yeah, and it's uh, it's They're Pam Greer. Pam Greer's very first movie too. But go. the funny thing was, I didn't even recognize her in it, so I don't know where she was. She had a really small role. Plus, he got a character's name, Z Man. Z Man. Z Man. Yeah. Oh man. That sounds amazing. I'm not exactly sure how you segue from Beyond Valley of the Dolls to the Lego movie. Yeah. And I can't think of one. So I saw the Lego movie. I took, I ended up taking my nephew. And this was also, this marked the first time I ever saw a, a movie in 3D at the theaters. Oh. Because the, wow. origi- the original was sold out. So it was either see the 3D, which I mean, I had to wait like an extra 20 minutes or wait like two and a half hours. And catch the next showing of the regular mm-hmm. and i had a four-year-old with me so obvious choice obvious was to choice. Just, yeah just see it in 3d because kids don't understand anything so i was i was scared because 3d makes me very sick and it felt like someone stabbed me in my eyes the entire time and i also gotta say is i don't i didn't i don't understand 3d like the first two minutes i was like oh this is pretty neat and then i and, didn't notice anything different at all yeah it's just like why why is this in 3D? It seems yeah, that's, and it's extremely expensive. Ridiculous. It's the gimmick. Yeah. Uh the animation in the Lego movie is jaw dropping. I loved it like every moment of it. It was just unbelievable. The creativity 
that's on display here is phenomenal. <clears throat> and I'm, I I loved all the, like the little, the small things. Mm-hmm. You know, like the ocean, the oh, yeah. smoke, the explosions, um, the way that they would show like foam and water. Oh my God, all of it was just amazing. And I just, I wish they would do, I wish that I could employ the team of animators that did this and then just at any moment have them at my disposal mm. that I can have them turn anything into a Lego version of it. Well, you know they're doing a Lego, all Lego episode of The Simpsons in May? Thank you. Yep. Thank that's you. A, that's exciting. Yes. I just want Lego everything, really. Yeah. I mean, I did have a little problem with it being just a giant commercial. But how are you going to avoid that? I, yeah, I know. That's I I couldn't really fall for but, it. But they also also yeah, it is a commercial. But they definitely made fun of themselves mm-hmm. a lot too, which helps make up for it. Um, I love the Duplo invasion. I thought that, <laughs> that was absolute genius. Uh, I, the only thing that I had a problem with is two things. Number one is the messaging in the film. It seemed a bit all over the place. It didn't seem like they really understood what they were going for. And second, I haven't watched a ton of uh, kids' films with kids, but I've always noticed, you know, when the film gets to the point where they sort of scale it down and it gets sort of quiet and everything sort of gets a little slow so they can get the message across, you know, when Emmett's talking about how he wants to be special and he was so happy when she was telling him that he was special and everything, and those, like, quiet small moments where they're trying to drive that message home all I hear is a shit ton of restless kids yeah. that just want to see more action and fun stuff. And I'm thinking, like, when I ask my nephew, you know, what did you like about it? He has no idea what the fuck the message was about the Lego movie. No, but... But he just loves all the fun stuff. So there is a part of me that's like, why did we even put the message in? Just make it well, the an message... hour and 45 minutes of just fun stuff. I think the message is more for the adults. I know, but what we're adults. We, we we need messages from Legos. Um, I think it. I think that it adds. I think the message adds to just the qual the overall quality of the movie because I feel like they could have easily just made a generic adventure story with it. But I thought the message was. I was okay one, for for I the like. most for the most part. I was okay with the message, except for the the kid just keep messing with the the father's shit. Like, there's fucking signs everywhere. Stop messing with the shit. Get your own Legos. Respect your elders. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? Because they made it sound like this wasn't the first time that he was messing with the shit. And it's like, he has it down in the basement. There's signs everywhere. Leave it alone. Get your own Legos. He did. Remember he showed him that little box of, like, random junk Legos that he could play with? And he ignored it. I know, because he's a little shit. That's what I thought he was. He's that's not shit. really. I don't think that that's really the uh, the message, though. I think the message is more about the son, the father learning from the son. Yeah, but he shouldn't have. He's an adult. It's his shit. Lay off of it. It's one <laughs> of the reasons I won't have kids because they won't keep their hands off your shit. You don't leave my stuff alone. Exactly. He had signs up. There were mean, si- they were printed signs. There was printed everywhere. fucking signs. The guy works hard for his fucking money. And apparently he has a whole basement where he comes down and he relaxes and he builds Lego worlds. And that's what, you know, that's where you fence. That's where he gets to relax. And then this kid comes down with his grubby hands and fucks all the shit up. Damn kid. Quit it. Knock it off. Yeah. Your sister has Duplos. <laughs> Get your own damn toys. But everything else was great. I actually, I love, I fucking love this story. And the Batman stuff. The way they just made fun of Batman constantly. Yeah. I, oh my God, I loved it. And I was so happy when Charlie Day's astronaut guy finally got to make a spaceship. Loved it. I was so excited for him. And I loved that he just yelled spaceship. Yeah. Just over and for, over. <laughs> for like a minute straight after he got to build it. I was so happy for him. I, I love the Lego movie. I and thought I, it was fantastic. I got to say, Chris Pratt is, I mean, he's so perfectly suited for children's <laughs> movies. I don't know yeah. why, but his his voice acting is just so amazing. I, love I think it. it's because he's just a lovable buffoon. He you is. Know, that, that's what he plays. That's his character, lovable buffoon. And 
it's just it's essentially his character on Parks and Rec where yeah. and he, I mean you know he has he's it, he's he has just fun you know he he's the type of person that you just you feel like he's he's just too dumb to be to do any harm to the world you know <laughs> like yeah he's he's fantastic he's got that market completely cornered he's all oh, yeah over. he's all over it yeah and I have to say they handled the 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 live action stuff pretty well because as soon like, as that happened yeah. i i was i was very apprehensive nervous yeah i was yeah, nervous I was like oh shit this is gonna fall apart really quickly well see for me uh when they did that that actually adding in the live action stuff and making me it, it basically changed the whole dynamic of the film for me because yeah. th- that's when i realized you know this isn't this isn't a, just a generic adventure story. Everything that we've seen is from this kid's imagination. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's going to be like your typical kind of good versus evil adventure story. But it's it's also like Emmett is the son and Lord Business is the father. Mm-hmm. And it just it completely changes the whole and they, story. And they were actually having tacos that Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. I, I also loved a lot of the how they incorporated like the really... Uh, essentially amateur like voice acting type stuff like when uh nick offerman's pirate character were getting his ship and he would just make the noise with his mouth mm-hmm. instead of actually having a sound effect for it yeah and then I when that's great <laughs> when morgan freeman's character comes back and you see you clearly see that it's just on a string is the string <laughs> yeah i loved that too uh now i i'm excited because i need to i'm gonna take my other nephew to see it because he really wants to see it and like all the action type stuff the set pieces that they do i want to see those in slow motion mm-hmm. i want the dvd and just watch because there's so much attention to detail yeah it's, it's, it's fantastic incredible. i love it I, I can't wait to see it again and i'm sure that the dvd is going to have like all kinds of deleted scenes and stuff they they did release well, the, that the, bl- blooper the, bl- reel. <laughs> the blooper reel <laughs> the blooper reel is hilarious and I love the, uh, what did you think of the the uh, Superman Green Lantern <laughs> stuff? I like when he gets hit with the chewing gum. Uh, Green Lantern comes over to help him. And he gets stuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. We just completely spoiled that movie for anyone that hasn't seen it. And I apologize. But You'll still love it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could have told me every single thing that happened in this film, and I still would have had a great Yeah, time. yeah, definitely. I mean, when it comes to the messaging stuff, I just want people to know that I'm just, I'm just joking, really. It didn't, it didn't like ruin the film for me or anything. I just find it well, odd. There's, there's a lot of people debating the message right now. I don't know if you've I mean, seen it, it but, which I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it either because it's, a, it's, it's meant to entertain. Okay, now yeah. if the message of this lego movie was hey we should hate gays then i would be like okay what the fuck lego movie yeah but that (laughs) to be debating whether you should people should be creative or do your own thing or be yourself give me a fucking break to me the message was completely on point it was it wasn't that you should throw away the rules and just do your own thing but it it also wasn't it wasn't all about conformity either you know like the whole point of it was you know they there there's both sides of the spectrum and yeah. the key is to find the middle ground i mean that's that was the whole point of the the scene where uh everybody was just building their own thing and it was just it wasn't working yeah because you got to realize there's no way this kid could have done everything that he did if his dad didn't take the time and meticulously build all of these worlds for him to play in yep exactly so it's all about teamwork, and so, which that was another nitpicking. But just that's my logical brain because I'm just like kid, let him super glue everything, and then you can just play within it, and then you don't fuck things up because your silly kid hands break things that, all the time. Yeah, that's true. But I guess the whole point of the super glue is that it, it's so permanent. You know, like they can't, you can't create more. Like it's it's set. Like that's well, it. he can make his little weird unikitty thing yeah, and play with that in the city. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the fact that I saw yesterday that there's the, the commercial for the Legos movie video game. Mm-hmm. And now I hope that they turn that video game into a movie. The Lego movie, the video game, the movie? Yes. 
and it just it just turns into this weird never-ending puzzle it's just gonna be crazy they're already working on the sequel but what i'm wondering is like i'm concerned about the sequel because i I want more of this for sure but i'm worried that i'm worried that the studio is going to make them try to like fast track it and crank it out because i'm pretty sure that this movie took them a really long time to make yeah like years and i'm concerned that they'll have to cut corners and like do more cg and stuff like that to get the the sequel out within like two years or whatever it does it does worry me so but that, I would that is definitely a concern. Do you think that Playmobil is working on a movie right now? And then they'll do a crossover? I don't know. I'd I don't like know. to see that. I'd like to see that. Either way, it's, it's an amazing <laughs> movie. Uh, another tough segue here. I saw a horror film called Almost Human <laughs> this week. Perfect. Uh, so this is a, an 80s throwback horror. takes place in 87. Or I think... The beginning is in 87, and I think it jumps ahead two years. Uh, either way, pretty decent. Wasn't I wasn't amazed by it. It's There's very little new to this movie. It's more like one of these movies that kind of is... Uh, it's just a straight-up throwback to other movies, like The Thing. Very similar to The Thing. Very similar to Fire in the Sky. So it's basically about a, a man who gets abducted by aliens only to come back two years later and he's not himself anymore and he starts infecting other people around him and turning him turning them into kind of alien hosts uh it's pretty typical storyline i mean we've seen this many times before yeah i do like your nitpick about the escort station wagon yeah And clearly that was that did not look like an 80s vehicle to me and i don't know a lot about escorts but <laughs> that was that, that that's that was one of my nitpicks is that it does take place in the 80s but they didn't capitalize on the fact that it was taking place in the 80s like it didn't look like the 80s to me mm. um if a movie is going to take place in the 80s you got to go full on 80s you got to go full on 80s you got to you know? take advantage of that at least at least give some sort of indicator that it's this time period. I mean, obviously there weren't any cell phones, which is one thing, but you know, there, there wasn't anything that like this, the, the clothing styles were very basic, like stuff that you'd see people wearing today. Um, the escort station wagon, it might've been a Taurus station wagon actually, but either way that like that didn't, that's just a nitpick though. Uh, it was extremely gory. It used, all practical effects yes and it was pretty pretty good practical effects this is a very low budget movie so you know don't expect the world from it very indie and uh they they got pretty ballsy with the ending like there were things things happened in the ending that i did not expect uh it's also a very short film and i saw that um there was a mike d'angelo wrote a little review and commented on the uh, end credit crawl and how slow it is. And uh, I, I completely agree that they clearly made that end credit crawl so slow in order to um, draw out the runtime so that it would be considered a feature film. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. But either way, it's a fun is, movie. Is the end credits just as long as the actual film itself? It's no, but it's it, long. Uh, I was hoping that that was the, the ballsy factor that you were talking about with the ending. No, it's <laughs> it's very long though. Uh, great marketing for this movie. It's got some awesome. Uh, it's got a really cool poster and some other cool stuff. Uh, it's available on on demand right now, so you can check it out. And it's a light recommend. Oh, you have the perfect segue. The guy, the director's last name is Begos. Begos. With Legos, come on, uh, yeah. get it together. Eh. Opportunity missed. Whatever. Ah, <laughs> uh, I watched a French film from 1968, which is the debut from Maurice Pelet, which I still fucked that up. Who cares? Um, this is uh, this is a very very blunt film, very blunt, cold, like almost just cold, detached indifference. The way that it's 
presented to the viewer. And it's about a lost childhood. It's about a, a 10-year-old named Francois who is abandoned by his mother. You never see the mother. You just know that he was abandoned at some point. And he's just going from foster home to foster home, mostly because he acts out like a hellion. And anytime you start to try and feel sympathetic towards this kid, the director will have him do something terrible that sort of like rebuffs you, mm-hmm. sort of pushes you back a little bit. And it's all a very difficult, confusing film. And at the end of it, you're just, you're very conflicted as to how you should feel about this kid. Because like in the beginning, you know, very sympathetic towards him. You know that he's a abandoned child. He's trying to make the best of it. So are the foster parents. And then it's a cut to a scene of him with like a bunch of other boys and he throws a cat down like six flights of stairs, like down through the middle, just drops the cat. So the cat lands it down at the bottom, you know, breaking its legs and everything. And you're just like, holy shit, what the hell did this kid just do? And then he follows it up by like, oh, he's going to care for the cat. So, you know, he makes a bed for the cat and he starts feeding it and everything. And you're like, all right. So he understands what he did. Well, here, by that time, the family's just sick and tired of this kid. They just want to get rid of him. So they're just done. So they call up the guy from the foster home or whatever and just get rid of him. So he gets pissed off, takes the dead cat and just like throws it out in the yard. And it's just it's a lot of that over and over again. Like you start to feel for the kid and then he does something that sort of makes you rethink about how you feel about this kid. And it's done like in this quasi documentary style. Like it's like a narrative mixed with a documentary at the same time. Like he'll take little tangents and show you like the actual intake of children's at, at at the foster home and everything. And then they show you how like they bring parents in and pick out kids, which is very disturbing the way they did do it. Cause the one family comes in and they're like, they're like, well, let's go show you the kids. And the woman's like, Oh, I hope it's not a black one. I don't want one of those. Mm. Just the, like the way that they, it's just like they're picking out, like a chair for their house. They're at Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like, and you know, the people working there are sort of like salesmen. Like, oh, this kid's really great. He's really shy. He's easy to take care of. And they're just like, you know, looking them over and like, ah, I guess so. And you're just, it's really uncomfortable feeling, just watching everything. And then the, the family that he ends up with at the end are when the director was doing, you know, sort of research for this film, he came across this elderly couple that were actual foster parents. So they actually play themselves in the film. And the film's actually based on one of the kids that they used to foster. Hmm. And it's it's very, very interesting. It's a, it's a tough movie to watch. I haven't really seen, like, this sort of depiction before. It's very interesting, though. Naked Childhood on if Criterion. You, yeah, if you're okay with watching some uncomfortable films, give this one a shot. Let it ruin your day. Do you have any other ones? I have one other one. I watched the the sci-fi, like one of the most um, influential sci-fi films, supposedly, from 1956, Forbidden Planet. Oh, yeah. You, you ever see this one? A long time ago. From yeah. Fred Wilcox mm-hmm. with Leslie Nielsen playing a not-funny character. No. Wasn't he like a was was he like an army general or something? Yeah, he's he's like the he's the commander. Yeah, I of the remember. whole ship, and he is not funny at all, which in turn makes it funny in an odd way. Um, one of the main things about this film is the first all electronic musical score, which is just really like tones and stuff that they use. Mm-hmm. It's just like a series of sound effects. That's all very interesting. The, the elaborate set designs and everything look great. The, the robot, Robbie the Robot, which is like the first robot to be in a film, he's pretty great. The special effects for, you know, 1956, everything looks pretty damn good. I mean, it's a bit laughable now, but still, at this day and age, you're looking at it and you're like, damn, I can understand people being blown away by this in 1956. Now, there's two things story-wise going on here. You have the whole sci-fi angle where there's this Dr. Morpheus or Morbius who was there like a long time ago. He was part of an expedition and he lives there now. And then Leslie Nielsen's crew is coming to find out what happened to him. And then there's this whole bizarre thing where it goes into the original inhabitants 
that are called the Krell and all of their technology that they had and everything that they did. And there's a monster that's destroying and ripping people from limb from limb. And all that's great. Now, the problem with this film is they do what Hollywood always does is they have to inject a love story into it. Oh, yeah. Because Krell is not interested enough. You got to put a lady in there. So apparently Dr. Morbius has a daughter. So she pops up. And right off the bat, this is really weird and uncomfortable. Like right off the bat, the the crew members are like, hey, Dr. Morbius, <laughs> why don't you help us out? You know, we've been flying for like a year now and we haven't seen a lady. So, you know, help us out here, <laughs> which is essentially them just saying, hey, do you mind if the entire crew has sex with your daughter? Like, be a good host. Be a good host. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just sort of disgusting, like the way, because they do it so flippantly, too. Like, this is just, you know, they deserve it. They've been flying for 367 days, and they haven't seen a woman the entire time. Come on, help them out. <laughs> so, right off the bat, the one guy, the, I forget who he is, he, like, he just drops what he's doing. He just forgets that he's part of the army or whatever in a galactic military force that they are, doctor, scientist, whatever the fuck he is. And he's just like, I got to get this. I got to get this girl. I got to get laid. So he just drops everything and starts hitting on her like crazy. And everyone's okay with that, apparently. And so she, you know, starts going with this guy. And Leslie Nielsen gets pissed off because the guy's not doing his job. And then all of a sudden, the girl falls in love with Leslie Nielsen just out of nowhere. And apparently, they're like like the greatest couple that ever lived. And it's just all so bizarre. It all happens so quickly, but with no like actual actions on the screen. It's just like all of a sudden, Leslie Nielsen and her are together. And they love each other more than anything in the world. And you're just like, when the hell did that happen? And so all of that side of it is just terribly, terribly done. It's a joke. All the other stuff is really cool. The sci-fi stuff. It's very interesting with the Krell and everything. Yeah. But the whole love story stuff is just a joke. It's a, it's just like a fun, classic sci-fi B-movie. Yeah. Before moving on, I just wanted to quickly mention, instead of watching Pompeii this week, I watched Joe versus the Volcano from 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yes. Uh, I I saw this years ago, you know, when I was a kid. And I kind of, I remembered some parts, but I forgot most of it. And it dawned on me that the, this entire movie is about a guy who is going to go to an island and kill himself in a volcano. Like, that's the premise of the movie. It's a guy who agrees to commit suicide by jumping into a volcano because he has a brain cloud and he only has six months to live that's amazing it's such a weird movie like it's it's much more bizarre than i remembered it being (laughs) and like meg ryan plays three different characters and it's just a weird ass movie it almost feels like terry gilliam directed it or something it's just i would like to see that i would like to see a remake with terry gilliam yeah, I think it'd be kind of fun. Uh, but either way, it was it's still one of these classics, you know, like movies, like comedies of that time, I just found to be, they were just so unique, you know, there's just nothing like it. I also love the fact that the only other movie he did was Doubt. Oh, really? John, yeah, John Patrick Shanley. Hmm. So That's Joe versus the Volcano and Doubt. That's interesting. Which is a, Yeah, which is a play that he wrote. That's that's his career right there. That's a very interesting career. Yeah, that is an interesting career. But it, it holds up. It's still a fun movie, so I'd recommend checking out Joe vs. the Volcano. I recommend it, it, checking it any early Tom Hanks out. Yeah. They I were agree. all amazing. Yeah. I mean, The Burbs is one of my all-time favorite yeah, movies. Yeah, Burbs so. is great. I still love Money Pit. Money Pit, I yeah. I love Money Pit. Uh, Dragnet, not so good. Hmm. Not into that one, but pretty much all the other stuff. Not into Bachelor Party either. I didn't see that's one I don't really remember. I remember that they played that on Comedy Central a lot. All right, let's talk about some news. A uh, couple, couple big trailers came out this week, and a couple bits of superhero news. First up, uh, Fantastic Forecast 
has been revealed for the the upcoming reboot. It's funny because when you said that, it sounded like fantastic forecast, like a weather forecast. Fantastic forecast. <laughs> I actually have a pretty shitty so, forecast where I'm at right now. It's raining. I was gonna say, is there another polar vortex? Uh, so this is Josh Trank is directing this. This is the the same guy that did Chronicle. Okay. Good choice, I think. And the cast is Miles Teller as Mr. Fantastic. Okay. Seems a little young. Michael Mm -hmm. B. Jordan as Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch. Seems a little young. Kate Mara as Invisible Girl, Sue Storm. And Jamie Bell as The Thing. That's the one that I can't really see. Yeah, I don't really see that. I don't really see that at all. So it sounds like they're going young. They're going young, definitely. They're getting the Fantastic Four for the young guns. I think the oldest um, member is Kate Mara. I think I think I read that she's like thirty-one. Huh. But Josh Trank is only thirty, I think. So it's just a young cast, a young crew. And you know what? I, like, I'm not into the Fantastic Four. I think they're pretty lame. But they might be able to do something fun with it. Ah, uh, probably not. Like they were really, talking about. I mean, this real, does anyone really care about the Fantastic Four? No, no, I don't think so. Who gives a shit about this comic book from how long ago? And they were they were talking about the villain because I don't think they announced the villain yet. And Doctor Doom is the obvious choice, and and they did say that Doctor Doom probably will be the villain. And they were talking about making it a woman, oh. which. That's oh. kind of an interesting... That is interesting. It's an interesting little twist there. I would like them to just get MF Doom to play Doctor Doom. That would be amazing. I would love it. The other big superhero thing that came out this week was that a ton of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy stuff came out. So it started with a little teaser, and then they released a full trailer on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and then they released a poster, and then a whole bunch of character teasers and i gotta say i'm completely sold on this movie i'm we talked about this a little bit before and how ridiculous i thought it would be and then watching the trailer i i'm in yeah because it it looks like they know it's ridiculous yeah it's it's uh they're completely embracing the goofiness of it they're just gonna have fun with it i'm yeah i'm completely sold on this movie i think it looks Looks like it's going to be a, a riot. Oh, a riot. <laughs> I just want to see a raccoon shoot guns. Yeah. For some that's, reason. That's voiced by Bradley Cooper. Yeah. But I don't know why, but I want to see that. Yep. Yep. The only other kind of newsy thing I wanted to mention was that the Red Band trailer for Ty West, The Sacrament, came out. And uh, I'm pretty excited to see this. As a fan of Ty West, this... Uh, this played, I think, played a couple festivals. Maybe TIFF? I'm not sure where it premiered. But got good reviews coming out of the festival circuit. Apparently, it's it's like his other movies where it's kind of a slow burn, which I'm, you know, glad to hear that. And I yeah. think, it looks, think it looks pretty good. It is found footage, but it's more, it looks like they're kind of trying to go for like a legitimate documentary look to it. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting, the fact that it's like a vice, like they actually use uh, that it's supposed to be a vice documentary. And it's I, I'm I actually really want to see this. Now, I've slightly enjoyed some of Ty West's other films, and I don't I've always been enamored or interested in these like Jim Jones. Yeah, type absolutely. Cults. Yeah. So uh, as soon as I saw that that was, you know. The entire setup. I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch this. I don't know why. Cults are very, very interesting. I find them to be completely fascinating. And that, yeah, that's another thing that has me sold. Because as soon as they introduce it, I'm like, well, I got to find out what this cult's all about. Mm -hmm. Got to watch it. And the guy even sort of looks like Jim Jones. Yeah. And I think that it takes place in the same area, too. It's supposed to actor's name is gene jones yeah it's the guy from he's he's like a character actor you've probably seen him in a lot of stuff actually but he's most known for um no country for old men as the gas station attendant 
All right. Uh, I think there was, uh, there's only like one other news thing you wanted to mention. What, Space Jam 2? Space Jam 2. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all I wanted to say. Space Jam 2. So I guess speaks, deadline speaks for itself. You really don't have to add anything to that. I guess deadline uh, put up this post about the the idea of Space Jam Two moving forward and LeBron James supposedly starring in it. But then there was like all these tweets that came out, yeah, saying that he wasn't involved in it. That doesn't mean that Space Jam Two isn't happening. That could mean that just lebron is either in talks or hasn't agreed to anything yet or maybe they'll go different direction maybe and not maybe they'll just bring michael jordan back might as well just bring mj back what i don't think he's busy is he busy so. he's oh, doing those Han- i think he's still doing haynes commercials and i think work, that's pretty much it fucking work that in product placement there you go i actually want to see i want to see them actually try and do that <laughs> <laughs> I know that they just came out with a mod for NBA 2K14 that has the Space Jam characters, where you can your team can be all the Space Jam characters. That's amazing. Yeah, it looks awesome. I just so I'm, I'm wondering why it took them so long for Space Jam 2. I don't yeah, know. I don't know how well that did. I remember that the R. Kelly song was huge. You heard that song like five times a day. Yeah, you did. God, I hated that song. Ugh. It- it grossed a good amount of money. Did you see Space Jam? Fuck yeah, I saw Space Jam. You kidding me? I hated me? it. I hated it. Because we, we were older when that came out. Yeah, I don't really remember what I thought of it. I I'm hated sure, it. I'm sure I didn't like it. Because I don't even like Michael Jordan. I'm not a fan of MJ. Not a fan of MJ. The guy's a dick. He's a dick. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go ahead and move on. Talk about a film. A little film called Borgman. How can he move on from Space Jam 2? Uh, well, we're going to try. I guess the only way to go is Borgman. Borgman. So this is directed by Alex Van Wormerdam. The synopsis states, A vagrant enters the lives of an arrogant upper-class family, turning their lives into a psychological nightmare in the process. Uh, this is going to be released this year here in the States on Draft House Films. You can currently import it online, although I would recommend just waiting because I'm sure Drafthouse is going to put out something awesome with it. So just just wait until it comes out if you haven't already seen it at the festivals. It premiered at Cannes, and it was nominated for the Palme d'Or at Cannes. It played Toronto and Fantastic Fest and a bunch of other ones, too. I also got to say, though, is they're taking their good old time with Borgner. The, yeah, I, I, I mean, even... I, I remember when this was playing Can, and there was a lot of buzz about this movie because it's so bizarre, which we'll get into. And it just seems like they missed an opportunity here. Like, I don't think they... anyone's really talking outside of us. No one's the Bergman talk has really died down. Yeah, and when and... when it finally probably comes out, everyone's just it's gonna it's fly gonna be completely over. under the radar. Yep, it's gonna be over. Which is a which is a shame. That's that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it because we we didn't get a chance to to really get into any kind of discussion about it. And I want to do that. I want to start doing that more, like kind of talking about these lesser known festival films and stuff, and just just ones that people don't normally cover. Yeah, I think um, that's a good idea. Instead of talking about Pompeii, yeah, <laughs> three Pom- days to kill. Uh, so basically. It's sort of like a home invasion thriller in a way, but it's it's a lot of things all at the same time. Yeah, it's it's a really hard movie to kind of explain. It's very bizarre. It feels very European. To oh me. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, then I want Ryan. To, we have to find a way to make Ryan watch this. I'm sure we can figure out a way. I'm sure. It's uh, it's really so. It's it's a very bizarre film. Um, I, I'm hesitant to call it a home invasion movie because it, it is, but at the same time, it isn't. Um, there were there were several times while watching it, I thought of Funny Games, mm-hmm. and just just how this movie is sort of doing uh similar things that Funny Games did, but just way better, like in every way. Oh yeah. Um. 
it's yeah, but it's not it's not that hard to top twenty games. No, I guess not. <laughs> but there there are a lot of things that are kind of left unsaid with this movie, and I think that there's a lot of things that can be interpreted in different ways with this movie. Oh yeah, they do. He really keeps it open. Yeah, like there's there's these just kind of strange things that happen. So the the film starts with. Uh, this priest and these uh, was it three two two other guys yeah two other guys two other guys uh, hunting down these vagrants who live in like kind of <laughs> underground shelters in the forest yes they have and, a very elaborate setup under the ground yeah that they live in so borgman is one of them he's i think he, that he's kind of the quasi leader of the group yes and he they escape and even though they're vagrants they all dress in suits and have cell phones yes i enjoyed that right off the bat is <laughs> that you notice that they're all wearing suits they're living underground but they they at least have suits yeah so he escapes into kind of the suburbs and ends up trying to knock on houses to see if they can they'll let him take a bath and everybody's refusing him. And then he happens on this one house and the guy beats his ass, basically kicks, kicks his ass. The wife feels really bad about it. She kind of takes care of him, fixes him up. And then that kind of starts the whole uh, scenario. Yeah. And he, (laughs) it's really, it's really, really difficult to explain because I don't know how much I want to give away with it too. Because I feel like there's a lot of things that happen that are kind of a surprise. And you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, there's a lot of what the fuck moments. Uh, I guess maybe you could mention, I don't think it would be given too much away to say that Borgman is an incubus. Yeah. He is an incubus. So think of the last time you saw a movie featuring an incubus. Yeah, he is. It gives you an idea of what you're getting into. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, one way of looking at it is that he's an incubus. I think that that's the general consensus. Right? Oh yeah, no, he's definitely an incubus. Clearly, so, I mean that the the first the the first sequence where they show him looks it definitely looks like uh, Alex Van Warmerdam was taking cues from a lot of old uh, paintings of various incubi, the way that he had it staged and everything. But there's also people saying that <clears throat> since Borgman's first name is Camille. Camille. Yeah, they're saying that he's an angel, which because there's talk that Camille is the angel that kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. Right. Yeah. And that's and that's what they're saying. Like, that's the whole point of what he's doing with these two, the two main characters. And that's where you really leave it open because there is no angel named Camille. Like, that's not in the Bible. There's no consensus that that exists. It's not even seen by the Vatican. So, and I mean, even when you try and look for information about Camille, the angel, there's not much out there. It's a lot of new agey stuff. So it seems a lot of that seems to be. And I think that it it can be spelled different ways too also. Yeah, because if you look at a lot of the new agey religions, they're saying that like Camille is the angel of charity, which then how do you work that into what he's doing in this film? Because I don't think the angel of charity is going to be poisoning people. Yeah, so basically he weasels his way into the lives of these people. At first it's in secret, and then he hatches this uh, this scheme with his two buddies and then these two women who pose as doctors to kind of oust their, their gardener, and then he becomes their new gardener, which to me, the whole time I was like, why couldn't they just fire the guy? Why did they have to do that? <laughs> just fire him. That's what it's, I it just yeah. seems it seems so extreme what they did to that gardener. Plus it just took a lot of time. Yeah, it was like this like, really a... elaborate. I mean, like the how they had the fake interviews and yeah. stuff. I mean, it took up a, a good like third of the movie was getting rid of the gardener. Yeah, it just it seems like the I feel like the wife could have just been like, "Sorry, it's not working out. You're fired." Yeah, you know, and just just let th- let that be it, because she could just still tell the husband that he quit. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's more <laughs> it's more interesting with Borgman in the mix. 
you got also i also loved how even the gardener would be mowing with a shirt and tie <laughs> with, a, with a full-on suit doing gardening and then after they come in and then it's funny because after they hire him as the gardener i was like man he's really taking this stuff seriously like he's doing some serious gardening i mean i wouldn't even call what he's doing gardening i'd call yeah. it straight up like landscaping renovation yeah oh yeah and then uh so there's there's that and then he starts kind of manipulating manipulating the family he starts poisoning the kids he poisons everybody he yeah pretty he much just, and he is very li- liberal with his poisoning it's a very elaborate poisoning as well yeah everything he does is elaborate i don't think but he's I, the, I don't think he really does anything small scale but it's funny because like the whole time i was like thinking to myself he must have done this before like this this crew that he has they have to do this regularly because they had a they had a whole system but apparently not because i mean the whole point of them you know the very yeah, first part of the movie is, what, is which saying is that what i don't understand strengthening their ranks and then you see that their ranks consist of four other people yeah so i don't know if it just took borgman a really long time because I would imagine it would be very difficult for him to do all of this on his own. Yeah, but still, like, they knew, they all knew what they were doing. You yeah. know, like, when, when he called up the two women, they, they like, they had the whole procedure down. Like, there wasn't any planning or anything like that. They just sprung into action. Indeed. They knew exactly what to do. But then I also thought, like, okay, well, if they're dumping the bodies in the same place every time, you'd think that they would show when they did that cut down yeah, there, in the water. Yeah, there you think that there'd be more bodies down there, uh, maybe which just, is also, hmm. which is also a really crazy way to dispose of bodies. And I, f- I thought that that whole sequence was insane. How they put their heads in buckets full of cement and yeah. dump them into the lake. Sort of like they build a, a reef system. It's crazy. Dead, dead bodies. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even know. And then there's the whole uh thing with the. The uh, uh, scars on the backs, the the cutting. Yeah. Do you know what that's all about? Um. Because I was really struggling to figure out what that was all about. The only thing that I can think of is, you know, they they're taking something from because they do it to all the kids. Yeah, but they also the, did it to the the housekeeper too, or the nanny. Yeah, but I mean, she was what she was like eighteen. Well, plus like they all had I scars think. too. They yeah. all had it. Had Which it seems scars. like that's what you need to do first. You have to remove something that they will acquiesce to what you need them to do. I don't know if it's like removing a soul or something. Because in my uh, eyes, maybe, if that, maybe that is. Uh, maybe they do take out their soul. Because that's the thing that's very interesting to me is people are saying that Camille or Borgman is an angel, but if you're an incubus, you're a demon. So is he both? Is he like an angel demon type deal or is he an angel that fell from grace like Satan? I mean, well, it's so bizarre. Was, I mean, and then yeah. at the same time, I don't know shit about religion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm at a loss here. There's um, some sort of divine, there's some sort of divine thing happening here. But you got to admit uh, the the thing that I enjoyed about this movie the most is the fact that Alex Van Warmerdam just throws you into it. Doesn't yeah, explain anything. Yeah, there's just, there is no explanation. Like the dogs. Yeah, just throws. Yeah, you know something's going on there. I don't know yeah. if those are supposed to be like. Did he take a license with it instead of being horses? They're dogs. I I don't know. And you know nothing is ex- explained. They just throw you in the deep end, and he's like, figure it out. <laughs> which you go. which I love because it makes everything so damn interesting. Like, I was on yeah. the edge of my seat the whole time. Like, what the fuck is going oh, on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was, the whole time, I was like, what is happening? Is this going to come together? Are they just going to leave it? Like, what's, what is going to ultimately happen with these people? And I, I didn't know what their end game was, you know? Like, because it seemed like, like Borgman and his crew were, were in the process of doing something to yeah. his family. It seemed like and they the were whole, building and up And the whole something. time, you're just like, okay, what are they doing? So you, you're, the whole time you're just sitting there like wondering how this is going to play out. And I think that it's just, that's one of the more interesting things about the movie. Because you're just like, what the fuck? What is happening here? It's so absurd. 
and it's uh it's very darkly comedic too like there's a yeah there, there's a lot of comedy in it too um at the beginning like when he puts up the periscope and stuff it almost felt like something out of um like a uh of what's his name uh jean-pierre Jeunet. Uh, oh yeah you know, like something it, like that. It felt like that. It also, Borgman's character really reminded me of Dennis Levant's character from like Holy Motors. You know, that mm-hmm. creepy creature. I forget what he calls him. That character that's popped up in a couple of right. films. Yeah. It was like the Netherlands version of that. Yeah. It's uh, it's very weird. Very creepy at times. Uh, brutal at times, too. Like Yeah, I was not ready for that there's certain things that happen in this movie that are, were, are genuinely shocking where you're just like, holy shit. Um, which also, not- which also really opens up interpretations because they do this to all the kids in the nanny <clears throat> and they make it sort of seem like they're doing this because, you know, they're young, they're innocent and they can sort of mold them into what they want them to be. But one of the kids clearly does something before all of this happens. Yeah, yeah. That just throws that all into this confusing mix mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. what's up with her. Yeah. It's very, very bizarre. I I loved it. I thought it was just so fascinating and so weird and funny and just wildly entertaining. And I can't wait to, to see it again. I hope the draft house does does right by it and puts it gives it a decent release. Yeah, I just I love these types of films where they just, you know, they don't really tell you anything. It's yeah, like, I mean, it, here's an experience. Figure it out. Yeah, it's a lot like Dogtooth, too. Like, you can you can see this the, the style is similar. You know, you're, yeah. the, the whole movie basically takes place in one home, one property. And everything's so pristine. I know, I love Crystal, their house. Oh, yeah. my God. Their house is incredible. The house, like, all the... The framing and the camera work and everything, the cinematography is just so like meticulous and clean, like almost clinical. Yeah, yeah. So highly, highly recommend Borgman. Uh, I'm gonna give Borgman and go eight out of ten. That's what are you gonna give? I that's what I want. Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. I yeah. I I just I'm totally down for these types of things. Yeah. Yeah. I was waffling between an eight and an eight and a half, and I like I like that you were waffling. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, Draft Drafthouse hasn't uh, announced an exact release yet, but I believe they did say it's going to be this year. So well, get on that shit, Drafthouse. Yeah, take be on the lookout for that. I'm sure that we'll be uh, keeping everyone updated on on the release date of that. So. Borgman, check it out. Borgman. Incubus. Incubus. <laughs> Incubus. Not the band. Not not the band. Which now I do have that song stuck on my head. Yep, same here. As soon as you said as soon as you said the word incubus, it popped into my head. You should play that as the <laughs> I'm sure I will. <laughs> the pardon me. What song do you have stuck? Is it that, that, that song? One? Yeah. yeah. I think of course. I wonder if are there any other songs that you would get stuck? Um, I think that's the not. only song that people remember by them. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I'm I'm not. All right, let's move on and talk about some predictions. Last week, uh, Pompeii, you said seven. I said twelve. Actual twenty nine. Get the hell out of here. Three days to kill. I mean, it's still not good. <laughs> I know, but who said that it was? I don't know. Uh, and then three days to kill. You said seven. I said twenty five. Actual twenty seven. Jeez. On three days to kill. Next week we have nonstop. Yeah, he is not stopping. Never. Liam Neeson can't can't stop, won't stop. He's got too think? much going on. He's got too much going on. <laughs> oh, what are you thinking on nonstop? Nonstop. Oh, fuck. Let's say like a fifty-four. I'm gonna say forty-two on nonstop. I think this next one is in getting some sort of wide release. Son of God. <laughs> have you seen the trailer for this now yeah me and my wife talked about this a little bit because i saw this the trailers that i saw was it went noah and then it went son of god what movie were you seeing i i, I can't remember what this was for maybe nebraska maybe it was before nebraska 
But the funny thing to me is Noah looks terrible and laughable and just god awful in every way. Son of God, I'm like, okay, I'm not into religion, but it looks like they at least did a decent job making this film. So there's not really much to make fun of. But with Noah, I can make fun of all day long. And that's just all the scene of trailer. Uh, I don't think either of them look good. And for for Son of God, I'm gonna predict twenty six. Twenty six. I'm gonna go like a sixty. I can't. I mean, I just can't be against it just because I'm an atheist. I feel like sort of a dick. Well, no. I. I mean, religious I just, people I, need their movies too. Well, I agree. I just don't think it looks that good. It looks better than Noah. I would honestly rather watch Son of God than Noah. I'm not joking. Noah looks terrible. That's it for predictions. Next week we have Anchorman 2, supersized R-rated version. That's also going to be out, but we don't need to predict that. And in a limited release, we have The Lunchbox, which I heard good things about. I did as well. Uh, Okay, video on demand. We have Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. Yes. Uh, Chlorine, which I don't know too much about. Doesn't look very good. And We Are the Best, which we have a review for that up on the site. I think Ernie saw that at... Like AFI or LA. I've or... heard I've heard very good things about that film. It looks it looks good, yeah. Uh, next week on DVD and Blu-ray, we have Blue is the Warmest Color. That's on Criterion. Yes. Uh, Gravity, Jamesy Boy, which doesn't look very good. Mister Nobody, getting another release apparently. Nebraska and Thor: The Dark World. Thor: The Dark World. Wow. There's actually a good number of Criterions coming out. Yeah. Next week. You already mentioned Blue is the Warmest Color. You have Soderbergh's King of the Hill from 1993 coming out on Blu-ray. You have Polanski's Tess from 1979 coming out. And Godard's Breathless is getting a blue, Blu-ray release. Very it's exciting. Four, four next week from Criterion. Very exciting. All right. Well, I think that that will wrap it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter, at filmpulse.net. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name's Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. A decade ago... I never thought I would be at 23 on the verge of spontaneous combustion, woe is me. But I guess that it comes with a territory anomalous landscape of... Maurice Piera. What?